Hey, I'm Michael Wood, lead pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. Hey, let me ask you a question. How many people in your life you would say, man, there's just someone that I can think of in my life that is just a great gift giver? Like they're just a really, really good gift giver. Anyone in here? No, you, we, we may need to do better on our gift giving. Let's see how many hands up go up here. How many of your life you say, I know someone in my life, they're a terrible gift giver. Like they just don't get it. A little bit more. All right. Yeah, there's some people in our lives, they just have that knack for knowing what the right gift is to give at the right time. And there's others they just seem to miss over and over again. Now, let me tell you, my mom, now some of you are like, easy, Michael, all right? No, my mom is one of the most thoughtful people I've ever encountered. I mean, she, she's just so thoughtful. She oftentimes will uh, send me stuff in the mail of just stuff for me to be in the loop in, things that maybe I might be interested in from things that are happening back home. And when it comes to gift giving, my mom went on, a, on this run of about eight years where for every year for Christmas, I, it had something to do with a flashlight. Now, I don't know how intentional that was. I really don't. But I mean, like one year it was like a hat that had like the LED lights on the end of the bill. Uh, one year it was like an like a antenna almost that you, like you would pull out and on the end it had a little flashlight. Uh, one year it was like almost like a transformer with flashlights and magnets and all this stuff. One year it was a lantern. Like every year it got to be this sense of joy opening this gift of what in the world is this light going to be this year? And one of the reasons that we would get these lights... It's for some of you nowadays, you love Amazon, right? We love Amazon. Well, listen, before Amazon, there was this thing called QVC. <laughs> some of you are with me in this. My mom loves QVC. She loves it. In fact, she loves it so much that one year, my niece uh, was at uh, my mom's house, and uh, the, the UPS truck pulls up, the brown UPS truck pulls up, and my niece announces to my mom, Grammy, the QVC truck is here. <laughs> like that's, that's how much my mom loves QVC. But there will be times here and there that Abby and I will receive a gift from my mom and it's some item, it's some product. It may be something she's seen on QVC, it may be something else, but she will give us this gift. We didn't ask for it, it's not an occasion. She will just get it for us. Again, she's thoughtful in that way. And oftentimes when she gives it to us, she will say this, I have this, it's wonderful, I knew you just had to have it. Anyone else have people like that in your life, right? For some of you, for men, sometimes it's a tool, right? It's some tool that your buddy used and they thought it was so great, they just wanted you to have it. For ladies, maybe it's something in your life that a, one of your lady friends, she used it, she enjoyed it, man, it was so great, and she just got it for you. You didn't ask for it. You weren't expecting it. You don't know anything about it. But in that moment, whether it was my mom or whether it's your friend, what we see are people that are willing to experience a personal cost for the benefit of someone else. And the reason that they do that, the reason they get you that gift when you never ask for it, have never um, maybe even thought about it, is because they experience this item 
and it was so valuable to them. And as they considered who you are in their life and how valuable you are to them in their life, they were willing to experience a personal cost for the sake of the value of the item and for the value of your friendship. And today what we're going to find as we navigate through the end of chapter 9 is we're going to see in the Apostle Paul a willingness, a heart, a desire that looks a lot like that gift giver, that understands the value of what's at stake and understands the value of those that he's encounter, and that in doing so, there is a willingness in his life to experience a personal investment. And so today we're going to navigate through this passage, and I'm going to hope that you walk out of here with a personal application in your life and a challenge of what this means for us. Would we be willing to show that personal investment? To catch us up in chapter 8, we saw that Paul began to talk about this issue of food being sacrificed to idols. And he said to the church, he said, listen, to those that are stronger, you need to consider those that are weaker in the faith, that are less mature in the faith. And Paul goes so far as to say, listen, if eating food causes my brother or sister to stumble, I'll refrain from it. It, it, it is not that big a deal. I will lay that down for the sake of others. And we talked about how in biblical decision-making, sometimes there's not a chapter or verse that we can turn to on what's right or what's wrong. But one of the questions we need to ask ourselves in that moment is, how will it affect my brothers and sisters in Christ? And today, I think there's another question that is going to be answered here as we considered in our lives what we do and how it has an impact on those that are not in the faith, that don't walk with the Lord. And so, let's begin reading in chapter 9, verse 19. I'm going to invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's word this morning. Paul says, although I'm free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ to win those without the law. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that I may by every means possible save some. Now I do all this because of the gospel, so that I may share in its blessings. Don't you know that a runner's in the stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable ground, but we an imperishable ground. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Let's pray together. Father, we recognize and honor the significance of your word in our lives. And we pray, Lord, in this moment, that Spirit of God, that you would speak, that you would convict us, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that you would motivate us, that you would stir us, God, into what it is that you have for our lives. So, Lord, may we be in tune to the Spirit. May we hear your voice. 
May we lay everything on the table with the willingness to follow after you. God, would you bless our time today in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul, again, continuing this thought on food that has been sacrificed to idols. Remember in chapter 8, he's dealing with this specific issue. And then last week we saw in chapter 9 where he's addressing what I think he assumes is going to be pushed back. That when the church in Corinth hears Paul say, well, I'll give up all food if it means my brother or sister will stumble. He says, listen, if if you want to take issue with with this one little thing of food sacrifice to idol, Paul says, let me show you how I'm doing this in a bigger way. And that's where Paul talks about even though he is free to receive compensation from the church. Remember we talked about all those different arguments that he gave about how it happens in the workplace, how it happens we see in the Old Testament law, the call for it, how he sees it happening in the temple with the other priests, and how Jesus commanded that that should take place. Paul says, listen, I have laid that right down. I've laid that right down. I don't want to take on that right because I don't want there to be any reason that people could rob me of my ability to boast in the gospel. And if you remember in verse 15 through 18, we talked about Paul thinking about the value and the reward of the gospel, of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and how for those of us, all of us that are in sin, that we can be forgiven of that sin and made right and to be made at peace with God through the sacrifice of Christ and his resurrection. That we can do that by faith. And as Paul thought about that gospel message, remember I said that that he almost stops mid-sentence to almost collect himself thinking about the gospel. And today we see the practical outworking of Paul valuing the reality of the gospel and how that valuing of the gospel works itself out in his lives. And we see that it's going to play itself out in how he behaves around those who don't know the gospel. Our takeaway today is this, the gospel motivates me to win others and run hard. The gospel motivates me to win others and to run hard. First thing I want us to see, verse 19 through 23, is simply this, a way to win others to Christ, surrender my freedom. A way to win others to Christ, surrender my freedom. We see here in verse 19 that Paul is going to pick up again on this theme of freedom. Remember he began in chapter 9 verse 1 saying, am I not free? It was a question that was expecting an answer in the affirmative. Paul knew they knew that he was free. And so the freedom here that Paul is speaking to again, this is the freedom that we have in Christ. It's not necessarily a freedom to do what we want. It is a freedom to do as we ought. As he will say in Galatians 5, the understanding there is that we are freed not to sin, but we are freed from the power of sin. And Paul will also address this understanding, we're going to see it today, this freedom from the Old Testament law, the religious laws and commands and prescriptions from the Old Testament, hear me, that were no longer binding now that he was in Christ. This is why he can say in chapter 6, you may remember in chapter 6, verse 12, why he can say that everything is permissible for me. He's no longer under the binding parts of the Old Testament. Everything is permissible for me. Now, when we hear freedom, and we talked about this last week, so I'm not going to dive into it a lot, but, but freedom, usually when we think about freedom, it plays itself out in meaning I can do as I want. I can do as I choose. But understand for Paul, as we look here in verse 19, that with Paul, he regards his freedom as that means I can 
do whatever is best for others. I am free to do whatever is best for others. So we see this strong contrast he makes here in verse 19. Look at it. Although I am free from all. I'm free from all. And not anyone's slave. I have made myself a slave to everyone. And why has Paul done that? He says, in order to win more people. So Paul's saying, I am free. But that freedom has not come with a posture of do as I want or do as I choose. For Paul, the freedom allowed him to consider what is best for others and to take on that posture. He says, I am willing to become a slave. This is a complete surrender of his freedom. A complete surrender of his rights and privileges. He is relinquishing uh, himself to the needs and the desires of others. Specifically here, he's going to say to those that he wants to win to Christ. He's talking about the lost. Those that are not walking in faith. That have never trusted in the gospel. And you see, for Paul, Paul lived his life as a slave to all people. Here he's going to talk specifically about to the lost, but, but even as you see in 2 Corinthians, he's going to say even to the church in Corinth, he's going to say, he's going to say in, in, in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, for we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants. That's the same word there, same idea, your servants for Jesus' sake. Paul's saying, I've become a slave to you, to the church. I'm here to serve you. But as we said in the immediate context of this passage today, Paul's not talking about them. How do we know that? Because he says there at the end, his motivation is to win more people. If you want, if you're writing in your Bible, you can go through that text and circle the number of times that Paul's going to say win. He's going to use it over and over and over again. He's going to talk about winning, 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 winning. It's all about winning. He's wanting to win people to Christ. This is about reaching them with the gospel and they're responding by faith. Peter's going to use the same language in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Peter's writing to wives. He says, in the same way, wives, submit yourself to your own husband, so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live. Same idea there, winning them to faith in Christ. So understand today that for Paul, as he's considering his life, that winning for him... It was about leveraging his influence and words to see people put their faith in Christ. And he knew that using his freedom in different ways around different people, it increased that influence. So who are those different people? Well, he gives us a list here. Beginning in verse 20, he begins to list, and I really believe it's an all-inclusive list for Paul. He would say, as he's going to summarize at the end of this section, is all people, everyone. First of all, he says here in verse 20, to the Jews, I became like a Jew. Now, that's an interesting phrase. Why is that an interesting phrase? Because Paul is a Jew. Paul is Jewish. But we see here, I think, this understanding for Paul that because of Christ in his life now, everything has changed. But he says to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. We see this take place in Paul's ministry in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 16, he's going to say, Paul's going to say to his young disciple Timothy, he's going to encourage him to go and to be circumcised so that he will be better positioned to reach Jewish people. Kids, if you're wondering what that is, ask your parents, all right? But, he, but he's saying to Timothy, listen, for the sake of your influence for the gospel, 
you need to be circumcised. In Acts chapter 21, we see that Paul is going to take on these purification rites that were practiced by the Jews and had been practiced by him for so long. But Paul is willing to do it because he understands that it will remove obstacles to these people that he's trying to win to faith in Christ. He goes on to say, he says, um, to those under the law, like one under the law, though myself am not under the law. Some people believe that he's speaking here not to Jewish people, but to Gentiles that are, so, that are, that are called God-fearers. They're proselytes. They were willing to come under the Jewish law. Others think that maybe Paul's just doubling down here on those that are part of the Jewish faith. But it is this willingness to say, listen, I will identify, I will leverage my influence with this group of people to be as effective as I possibly can. He goes on to say there in verse 21, to those who are without the law. Now here we know that he's speaking to the non-Jewish people. He's speaking to the Gentiles. To those without the law, he's going to become like one without the law the law. And finally, he's going to say here to the weak. Now, there could be some confusion here because if you remember in chapter 8, students, you remember in chapter 8, we talked about the weaker brother or sister. You with me in that, right? So there can be some confusion like, okay, is he talking about the same idea? Because in chapter 8, the weak were less mature believers. And here in chapter 9, he's talking about the weak again. Does this say that he's trying to win less mature believers? There's some that believe that. I think because he's using the same verbiage of win, 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 I think he's pushing this idea of those that potentially are sociologically weak in the sense of they're in a position that is looked down upon. Or it could be that he's trying to push back against the prideful Corinthians that have seen themselves as being so strong. But he says to the weak, I was willing to become weak to win them to Christ. So Paul desires to win as many people as possible and see them to come to faith in Christ. And there is a willingness. We see there a willingness to lay down, to surrender his freedom. To sum this up, what he's doing here is he is contextualizing his life with those that need the gospel so as to remove any obstacle to them hearing and responding by faith. Now, some of you, you hear that and you go, well, Michael, that's dangerous. Like, I appreciate Paul's motive that he wants to see people come to faith in Christ. And I appreciate his humble attitude of saying, I will willingly lay down my freedom. I will willingly lay down things that I have a so-called right to. But Michael, isn't that dangerous? Like, isn't there a slippery slope that could be here? But understand for Paul, there was a willingness to lay down his influence, but there was not a willingness to lay down his convictions. We see that. Look with me here in verse 21. Paul's going to make an important statement for us to understand what Paul means when he's talking about surrendering his freedom, but not surrendering his convictions. He says here in verse 21, right, to those without the law, like one without the law. Now look at the statement he makes here. Though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ. So Paul is speaking here about giving up, listen, the prescriptions of the Mosaic law, of the Old Testament law specifically. I, need you to, I want you to listen real carefully here, all right? I want to clarify, make sure you understand. When Paul's saying that there is a freedom that he has from the law, a willingness to, to, to well, a, 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 an understanding of his freedom from the Old Testament, this is specifically the purity and the civil laws that were no longer binding because Jesus had now come. The civil laws and the purity laws, but not, hear me, 
not the moral law. The moral law as it is a reflection of God's character. So in the Old Testament, it tells us, do not murder. Paul would not say, well, now I'm free because Christ has come, and so now I can murder as many people as I want because that was in the Old Testament, right? You with me? But this understanding of, say, ceremonial washing before you would give a sacrifice, Paul would say, I'm no longer bound to that because now I am in Christ. So Paul understands that there is a freedom that he has, but he says here at the end of verse 21 that he is under the law of Christ. Well, what does that mean? Well, one, I think it does mean the moral law from the Old Testament that does constitute God's character. It reflects God's character. I think, too, when Paul writes about being under the law of Christ, I think he's thinking about the commands that Jesus gave when he walked among creation. He's thinking about those specific commands. But I also think that Paul here is particularly thinking about living in a way of Christ that loves others through this self-giving sacrifice. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 and 14, it says, For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law. Is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. I think Thomas Schreiner does a good job summing up this passage and where Paul's mindset is at. He says this, believers live under Christ's law when they live for the good of others, especially when they are concerned about bringing others to salvation. For the purpose of Jesus' self-giving love on the cross was to reconcile people to God. Let me read that again. Believers live under Christ's law when they live for the good of others, especially when they are concerned about bringing others to salvation for the purpose of Jesus' self-giving love on the cross was to reconcile people to God. So what we see here, hang with me, is that for Paul, there is a valuing of the gospel and there is a valuing of these people that he's experiencing. And in those realities, he is contextualizing his life, hear me, without capitulating to culture, without surrendering his convictions, but in his behavior. He is willingly flexing on the non-essentials so as to remove as many obstacles as possible to win others to Jesus. Here at First West, we try to give clarity for who we want to be as the people of God. And we want to be people that emulate this same heart and this same attitude of Paul. We want to be people that value the gospel and value others. And so that's why for us, we say that our mission statement is we want to see to it that no one misses the grace of God. And what I love about that statement is that when we say that we will see to it, there is a personal responsibility that it calls for. It means as a believer in Christ, I understand the, the responsibility falls on me. It's not on, it's not on my pastor. It's not on my life group leader. It's not a minister here in our church. It's, it, it, it's on me. That the Bible calls every believer to have a see-to-it attitude and a see-to-it posture. That I will see to it, that I am willing to take on that responsibility. And I am willing, as Paul would show here, to surrender my freedom. To surrender some things that I might feel like I have a right to. Because my value of the gospel and my value of others is greater than any right 
that I may think I deserve. We can willingly flex on the non-essentials in our life when we understand what we've been saved from. The Bible says that those that are not in Christ, they've never come to that place of repentance, of turning from their sin and turning towards Christ. The Bible says they are destined for eternity, separated from God. We value the gospel because we understand what we've been saved from. At the same time, we value the gospel because we understand what we've been saved to. The Bible teaches us that for those that are in faith in Christ, that we are made at peace with God, with the promise of eternity with him. And at the same time, that I'm willing to flex on the non-essentials in my life when I love people more than my rights. And so we see from Paul here, a way to win others to Christ is to surrender my freedom. Would we live with that posture? Would we live and valuing the gospel in such a way and valuing others in such a way that when those moments come in our life, that we are quick to surrender our rights, to surrender our freedom so that we can remove obstacles for the sake of winning others to Christ. And as Paul considers what he's willing to do to win others, it seems to stir him and that he wants to live in such a way to receive his reward. Uh, Look with me here in verse 24 to the end of the chapter. The last thing I want us to see today is this, is a way to ensure my reward is to run hard. A way to ensure my reward is to run hard. So Paul's, we've just seen this posture This willingness, as he says in verse 22, right? I become all things to all people so that I may save as many as possible. I win as many as possible. But now we're going to see this turn. This turn of, of the passion of which he is running after this. He says there in verse 24, don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race? But only one receives the prize. Run in such a way to win the prize. A way to ensure my reward is to run hard. A way to ensure my reward is to run hard. Now, when you first hear that, you may think, well, goodness, I better run hard if I want to receive my reward. And there is an element of that, it is true, but there's an element that we have to be careful. Because we could be tempted to hear that and to believe that, well, listen, my reward is solely based on my performance. That my relationship with God is merit-based. Understand, the Bible gives us no merit-based relationship with God. It is by God's grace and it is by God's love that he saves us. Nothing that we have done to earn it. So when I say that, I don't want you to get to a place of thinking, oh my goodness, Michael's saying if I'm not performing well, then I'm not a believer in Christ. I have to keep my performance up so I can keep the relationship up. Right? I don't ask my kids to up their performance just so they can stay in the house. Right? It's not merit-based. The same way in our relationship with the Lord. In fact, Paul has said to them in 1 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9, the very beginning, Months ago, we covered this. But he said to the church, right? God will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. You were called by him in fellowship with the Son, right? So there is an understanding to the church and for Paul that our salvation is not merit-based. But as I've said to you for a long time, a very helpful statement for me 
is that the evidence of the authenticity of my relationship with the Lord is not based on my enlistment, but it is based on my endurance. Let me say that again. The evidence, the proof of the authenticity of my walk with Jesus is not based on the fact that there was a day long ago that I said yes to him. But what gives evidence to the reality of faith in my life is not my enlistment, but it is the endurance. It is the day after day after day walking with Jesus. That gives evidence to the authenticity of my faith. And so today after the service, if you came up to me and said, hey, Michael, I'm committed to run a 5K by the end of the year. I'd say, that's wonderful. God bless you. But do I know the weight of that commitment? Now, for some of you, I know really well. And I would say, yep, they said it. They're going to do it. For some of you, I know really well. And I would say, they said it. That don't mean jack squat, right? But listen, three months from now, if I were to look back on the previous three months and every day I saw you early in the morning running in front of my house, what would be the weight of that commitment? There'd be some weight behind it, right? Because I would say, listen, you have given evidence to that commitment. And Paul here is speaking of this motive of how he is running. And he's saying, listen, I don't just want to show up and be this flabby, half-hearted Christian that kind of said, yeah, I'll do this thing. When he thinks about the value of the gospel, when he thinks about the value of the people, he says, I want to run in such a way as to win the prize. The Apostle Paul was not content when he thought about the gospel to sit on the sidelines. And so the call that he gives here, it's the main imperative of this section in verse 24, to run in such a way to win the prize. What is the prize? Well, Paul gives us this illustration here, this imagery here of this race, and he says here in verse 25 that it is to receive an imperishable crown. He's talking about to run in such a way that, that, man, when we stand before the Lord and when we think about spending eternity in his presence, we, have run in, we, have, we will have ran in such a way that we can enjoy the reward of his presence. Hear me, the reward of eternity in his presence is a reward that is worth living for. And that is very, very different than just existing for. For some people, their understanding of faith in Christ means that there was a moment years ago when I enlisted in this faith thing, and now I just have to enlist my way, or I'm sorry, I just need to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, exist. I just need to exist all along until I make it. And the Apostle Paul, if he were here today, and that was your attitude of, listen, I'm just existing. I'm just kind of going with the flow. I'm just kind of letting the waves of life push me around until I get to the end. Paul would look at you today if he was here and say, I, what are you doing? I don't, I don't get it. I don't grasp it. Would we value the gospel and others in such a way that we run with everything that we have? He says here, run in such a way. Run in such a way. Paul uses this illustration here, speaking of the Isthmian games that would have taken place in the area of Corinth. 
There were two main games in Greek culture, the, the Olympics and the Isthmian Games, which they had wrestling and running and uh, chariot races, all of these different things. And so the, those in Corinth, they're, they're tracking with Paul now. When, when he's talking about those that run in the stadium, they're fully tracking because they've experienced it. They've tailgated before it, right? They, they, they've experienced these games. Like they're fully tracking with where Paul is going here. And so Paul talking about this motive, this idea of, of living, of truly living out the Christian life as opposed to just existing. He says here in verse 26, he says, I don't run like the one who runs aimlessly or box like the one beating the air. This is like you ever seen those times at a sporting event and they had the baby race. You seen that before? Right, they line all these babies up, and you have one, one parent that's behind the baby, and then like 20 yards away, you have the other parent, and then they release them, right? And the other parent at the other end is just making an absolute fool of themselves. Are you with me on that? Right? And what do these babies do? Whatever they want. Some just sit there. Some start crawling that way, right? Some start crying, right? They, there is no understanding at that age of what's going on, that it's a competition and it takes effort and you're trying to beat all these people. Now some of you are like, yeah, right, you put my kid in there, he'll whoop them all, right? But, but it's this idea of just aimlessness, like just, just no comprehension, no effort. Paul says, man, I, I don't want to box like one beating the air. I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste my effort. I don't want to give my life to climbing the ladder only to realize the ladder was on the wrong wall. Like, I want to give my life to what matters. And so he's going to paint this picture for us. He's going to give this comparison for us. I want you to catch this. He's going to give us first this image of what the athletes of those days, of how they trained to pursue this crown. And then he's going to invite you to consider your life and how you are training to pursue an imperishable crown. He says in verse 25, now everyone who competes, this word competes in the original, it's where we get the word to agonize, right? It comes with weight. This is a competing not to get the participation award. I'm not going to go there, all right, but I could. This is the one that gives everything they've got. For everyone who competes, who agonizes, what do they do? They exercise self-control in everything. There is a discipline. There is an intensity. There is a willingness in their life. Why? Because they're pursuing this prize. And that day, for those that would compete in the Isthmian Games, that it was required that 10 months out, they would begin their training for these games. And that if when they got to the games, if they could not prove that they had been training for these 10 months, the games would tell them, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. Now, that's crazy for us to think in the world in which we live, in which not just professional sports, but even youth sports, it's your year-round thing. You're constantly training. But for them, the significance of what would happen, that they would give themselves to these 10 months of, of strict discipline and training. They had to prove themselves before they ever showed up. And Paul would say here, he's painting again this picture that, that they train in such a way. They give their lives to this for a perishable crown. 
Right? They're giving themselves in such a way for, for these games, it was, a, it was a crown that was made of pine. The other games had different items that they would use, but it was a, a pine wreath. And he's recognizing not just that that wreath is going to go away, but 10 years from now, nobody's going to remember they won that. And it's just a reality. Right? We, we, it's so easy for us to give all that we are to things that won't last. And so he's saying, listen, you think about how they're giving themselves to something that ultimately will not last. How are you giving yourself to something that can never be taken away? And so for Paul, as he reflects on that in verse 27, look at what he says. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. <laughs> I love the verbiage that Paul uses here when he says, I discipline my body. That word discipline, it literally means to get punched in the face. In fact, more specifically, to get punched right under the eye. So think about what Paul's saying here. With his desire to run in such a way to win the prize, to understand the value of the gospel and the value of other people. Paul says, I am, I am willing to discipline myself in such a way because it's worth it. He says, so that I might not be disqualified. I don't think he's talking about a salvation here. He's thinking about taking away his ability to boast in the gospel and to see people coming to faith in Christ. But today, as we consider our lives, as we consider this passage, there's some great takeaways for us as we think about this willingness. Am I willing to lay down freedoms? Am I willing to lay down comforts? Am I willing to lay down preferences for the sake of seeing people to come to faith in Christ? Because ultimately, how we answer that question shows what we truly value. And if I truly value the gospel and what I've been saved from and what I've been saved to, and as I consider the reality of people spending eternity apart from God or spending eternity with God, and I think about the value that I have on people, that will show up in how I answer that question. Paul said, I'll lay it all down for the sake of the gospel and the sake of others. And at the same time, Paul says, I'm going to chase after this. And the only way that I know to respond in light of what the gospel is, and that's to run with everything I have, to discipline myself for the sake of the gospel. Are you running in that way? Have you, have you simply gotten in the game only to be content to sit on the sidelines? Are you walking in response to the gospel with the love for others to constantly be tapping God on the shoulder saying, put me in, coach. Find a place for me to serve. Find ways for me to be intentional in the relationships that I have with work. God, would you give me people on my kids' sports teams that I can be building relationships with and I can be, be um, strategic in how I'm trying to leverage my life and leverage my influence to see them come to faith in Christ. I want to give you a, a kind of tip here. If you're ever visiting with someone, maybe it's over coffee, maybe you're at work, maybe you're in the neighborhood, and someone says to you, did you hear that Michael Wood is running a marathon? I want you to look at that person right in the face and tell them they're a liar, because they are. And some of you out there are saying, well, Michael, that's a pretty definitive statement for you to make. You never know. Listen, I know. I know. But if I had to run one marathon, notice what I said, if I had to. Some of you, you love it. And listen, this is not on you, right? 
Some of you, God's given you that gift. He's given you that passion, right? Some of you, you, man, you connect with that. Man, I feel God's presence when I run like that. That's your thing. And God bless you. It can be your thing, right? But if I had one marathon to race, some people think, oh, the Boston Marathon, right? It's like, man, it's like, nope. Nope. That medal they give you at the end, not enough. Doesn't do it for me. You think, well, man, the personal accomplishment of running the Boston Marathon, not enough. That personal accomplishment does not outweigh the training that would have to take place to run all that way. Not worth it. Maybe the New York City Marathon. Nope, not enough. Not going to do it. I don't care. One of my friends, one of my good friends is a pastor in Texas. He did a rim of the, of the uh, Grand Canyon all the way down through the Grand Canyon to the other side. And then when he got to the other side, because he's not a smart man, he turned around and went all the way back through the Grand Canyon to the other side. You know what he got? A medal. That's it. Not worth it. Can I get an amen? Not worth it. But let me tell you this. If I ever ran a marathon, it'd be the St. Jude Marathon. Because you've heard me say, a medal, not worth it. Not worth it for me to get in the game. The personal accomplishment, not worth it. I don't care, not worth it. But most of you in here, you understand some of the St. Jude Marathon. It is more than just a race. It's about raising awareness. It's about raising money for something that absolutely matters incredible influence and impact of St. Jude. And here, this is not a commercial for St. Jude, but it's just a recognition of what St. Jude does and the impact that St. Jude has had on our church family in the past and the impact that St. Jude is making on our church family in the present. And how that race, how it, 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 it raises money and it raises awareness and it encourages families. And it, it, it's, a, it's a source of healing for families, right? There, there is incredible weight behind the St. Jude Marathon that is much more than winning a medal or personal accomplishment. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying, when I think about my life, there's a lot of people that are just running a race. They don't even know what the prize is. They're just existing. They're just just living this life out. But Paul's saying, I've come to a point of understanding what this race is all about. And it's about walking in the joy of my salvation. And it is about walking in response to what I have been saved from and what I have been saved to. And it is about walking with the knowledge, with the reality that the people around me, I don't care how nice they are, I don't care how good they are at work, I don't care how nice they dress, that if they are without faith in Christ, if they have not surrendered to Christ and turned away from their sin and towards him, that they are destined for eternity apart from God. And in those things, he's realizing what is at stake. And he's saying, I'm going to run. And there's only one way I know how to run. It is to lay my freedoms down. And it's to give it everything I got. Let me ask you today, what's holding you back? What is holding you back from laying down your freedom to see the others come to faith in Christ? What is holding you back? from being willing to run in such a way as to win the prize. 
And in 2 Timothy, Paul writes at the end of his life, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Would it be true on that day that when myself or some other person in your life officiates your funeral, that we could say they ran in such a way as to win the prize? But that running, it starts today. Would you bow your heads with me today? Maybe today you've heard the reality of what it means to to need Jesus in your life. This is more than about just being religious. This is more than just about getting a new start on life. This is an understanding that the Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. The Bible says it and our lives confirm it, that there are sin, there are mess ups and mistakes in our life, things we have done and rebelled against God. And you've heard me today with clarity that that separates us from the God who made us and loves us. And today you've heard about Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection, that he came to do that in his love for you, to take on that sin so that you could be forgiven of it. And as I said earlier, that you could be at peace with God. Peace for all of eternity. Peace for today. And right now in this moment, this might be the moment for you to say, I need to put my faith and trust in Christ. Maybe you're here today and you're a believer and the Spirit of God quietly but firmly speaking to the depths of your soul today. Just saying you haven't been running. You've been existing. You haven't been living. Would we value the gospel and would we value others in such a way that we would discipline our bodies, we would exercise, we would compete for the sake of the gospel and others. Father, today, we give thanks for your word. And Lord, I just pray today that we would feel the weight of this passage. We'd feel the weight of understanding what's at stake for those that are not in a relationship with you. And then in our understanding of what we've been saved from and what we've been saved to and and a true desire of wanting to love others well, that we would be willing to do everything it takes, minus compromising our convictions, to see people come to faith in Christ. Even this week, God, would you find us opportunities where we could lay down our comfort, we could lay down our preferences, we could lay down our freedoms to be a better influence so people could be one to the gospel. God, would you help us to not be content with just existing. But Lord, when we understand that this race of life is about far more than a medal, or far more than just personal accomplishment, we understand what's at stake, God, would we be motivated to run hard, to give it everything we got. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We hope, again, that you were uh, encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. 
Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need. And I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318-322-5104. And we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.